Episode 12, Ishan Kahana, VP of Investor Acquisitions at EB5 United, co-founder and president of the American Immigration Investor Alliance, AIIA. You're listening to the EB5 Superheroes podcast. Join host Matt Trash as he interviews the EB5 industry's courageous men and women, leaders protecting the path to the American dream for the good guys and foiling the sinister plots of the not-so-good guys. Billions of dollars and families' lives are at stake. Go behind the scenes as our EB5 superheroes tell their stories of triumph against adversity, paving a brighter future for EB5. And now, financial engineer, industry expert, and EB5 superhero, Matt Trush. Welcome to the EB5 Superheroes podcast. I'm Matt Trush, your host. For those of us living in the EB5 world, we've grown thick skin and learned to buckle up tight for the roller coaster ride we lovingly call EB5. EB-5 is an incredible federal program that has brought tens of billions of dollars to the U.S. economy, created hundreds of thousands of new jobs, and helped countless families legally immigrate to the U.S. But it's been a bumpy ride, to say the least. There have been cases of fraud, swinging pendulums of regulatory uncertainty, unnecessarily long processing times, program sunsets, and even twilight. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. EB-5 can once again become the best and fastest and most stable letter combinations in the alphabet of US immigration paths. EB-5 can regain its highly competitive position versus other countries' immigration investment programs. EB-5 is poised to navigate America out of another economic downturn. Now is the time more than ever for the good guys and good gals to make the dream a reality again for those who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. Meet the EB-5 superheroes who are on the front lines of making positive change, the courageous leaders who are shaping the course of EB-5 for good and triumphing against adversity. Get the inside scoop, hear their stories, learn from real life successes and failures. Billions of dollars in families' lives are at stake. Join me in welcoming Ishan Kahana, VP of Investor Acquisitions at EB-5 United, co-founder and president of the American Immigrant Investor Alliance, AIIA. EB-5 superhero, Ishan Kana, welcome to the show. Hey Matt, thanks for having me. EB-5 superheroes are industry leaders like yourself, protecting the path to the American dream for the good guys and foiling the sinister plots of the not-so-good guys. Ishan, let me brag about you a bit. Ishan Khanna is the Vice President of Investor Acquisitions of EB-5 United and the Co-Founder and President of American Immigrant Investor Alliance, AIIA. EB-5 United is an EB-5 investment issuer that has helped over a 1,000 plus investors obtain more than 2,000 green cards for family members. AIIA is dedicated to informing, educating, and advocating on behalf of all EB-5 investors from across the globe. AIIA was founded to provide a real voice to American immigrant investors. Ishan, it's great to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? What was your first contact with EB-5? How was the process and, and all that? Sure. Thanks for having me. So I guess I can go back to 2016 when I first learned about EB-5. And, you know, with the support of my parents and their encouragement, I went forward and did the EB-5 investment. I did probably six, seven months of research before I invested. I went with EB-5 United for my investment issuer and my attorney was Robert Blanco. I was pretty happy with the choices that I made. About a year later, I was waiting for my H-1B visa to come through. I was working for a tech company in LA and I didn't get my H-1B. And so my OPT period expired. I was on an F1 student visa at the time and I had to go back to India. Around that time that I was basically waiting for my consular processing to go through, because at that point I had my approved petition, 
the people at EB5 United reached out to me. Uh, they recalled me as being one of the most annoying investors they ever had to deal with because I asked like a million questions before I invested. And they said, hey, you know, EB5 Investor Magazine is having their first ever conference in Mumbai in India. Why don't you, know, you fly there? We'll pay for your ticket, put you up in a hotel. Maybe try talking to a couple of the investors, you know, you can you can talk to them and maybe you can help us, you know, get some Indian investors. And, you know, initially I thought, sure, you know what, some companies paying for my free trip to Mumbai. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'll sit behind the booth and, you know, whatever, talk to some people if I really have to. Have to. And that's what I did. I went there. I, I, I sat behind my booth just playing games on my phone and just talking to people whenever they came up to me. But somehow the word got around that there was an EB-5 investor there. In that, in that exhibition with an approved i526. And suddenly there were tons of people who wanted to talk to me. Inherently by nature, I think South Asians tend to be followers, not leaders. And I guess once they found out that I had done EB5, and this was back when, you know, India was still a new market for EB5. A lot of folks started reaching out to me. EB5 Investor Magazine did a interview with me and soon I had messages in my LinkedIn, my Facebook, about people asking me more for more advice and information. And one thing led to another, EB5 United, hired me and I started working for them. My dream job was to go work for a DOD contractor, something like a SpaceX or Northrop Grumman or Raytheon. Because those are the folks that I interviewed with back when I was still in college. That's the companies I wanted to work for. And my dream was to go get my EB-5 green card and go work in that space. But then I started doing this and, you know, I realized I was good at it. I've helped EB-5 United raise a significant sum of EB-5 money. I've had the pleasure of meeting some of the most incredible people, hardworking folks who are basically putting their life savings on the line to, to gain a better future for themselves and their family members. And I've been very, very fortunate to see a lot of their applications through. My very first investor that I ever helped was a physician out of Virginia. He was on his J, he was doing his J1 waiver at the time. He was you know away from his wife. He was working in another rural area in a separate state. And, and having to see him sort of go through the process, make the investment, get his approval, get his approval early thanks to, you know, uh, me helping him out and pointing him in the right direction of an attorney who could do a writ of mandamus petition for him and, and and so on and so forth. Seeing him getting his green card and actually be together with his wife was was incredible incredible experience for me to hear about and, and, and see firsthand. And for me, that 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 changed a lot of things. I, I, I realized I wanted to stay in EB-5 for the long haul, at least to see all the folks that I've helped do EB-5, see them through. I guess all I've wanted was to really help the folks out who've who've put their faith and 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 money in in a project that I was essentially advocating for. So that's my background as far as EB-5 goes. To kind of switch gears and now to talk about sort of what has occurred over the last year. In early 2021, I first found out what was going on with the EB-5 program reauthorization. And I know that there is a long and troubled history of EB-5 industry and Congress. Congress members have wanted to reform the program in a certain manner. And yet, the EB-5 industry, specifically big money players, have always lobbied against it. That who has are been some money players. Do we are you referring to regional centers? Are you referring to some of the larger? I'm referring to investment issuers, regional centers, developers, specific members of the industry who wanted the EB-5 
programmed to work more in their favor mm -hmm. rather than what it was intended for. Now, I knew that there was a, a conflict brewing in that sense. And the people who were going to be most affected by it were the investors. For sure. And and the real, and that's exactly what happened. But anyway, sort of going back to 2021, in April of 2021, I started talking to a couple of other investors online that I met in a forum. And, and I told them that, look, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about this lapse that's coming up. And I think it's going to be really, really bad. I think what a lot of folks are saying that, hey, don't worry, program has been reauthorized year after year after year. It's just going to get reauthorized again. I, I, I felt something was different. And, mm -hmm. and I, I tried telling a lot of people about it. A lot of folks didn't believe me, but, you know, I found a group of people that I, that I, that I liked and I, I could work well with. And so we formed a nonprofit organization called the American Immigrant Investor Alliance or AIA. And since then, we've really just been advocating and, and ed educating the public and investors themselves about what's going on. In June of 2021, the EB-5 program lapsed. We decided to take up the mission of, of pushing for grandfathering of all existing investors because, you know, the truth is that this lapse that just took place, it was caused because of friction with the industry and Congress. And, you know, in my mind, the blame solely lies on the industry. I mean, Congress wanted to do what's right for the program. They wanted money to go to areas which which needed it. And given this, the given this situation that we were in, I decided and the rest of the AI board decided that we would take up the grandfathering of all existing investors as our core signature issue. And, and that is what we pushed for. We wanted to separate the, the impact that existing investors had away from the battle that was taking place on the future of the program. I believe those were two unrelated issues which could have been dealt with in a separate manner. Right. So, and tell everybody what grandfathering is and then how the new EB-5 reforms have tackled that. Do you feel that they did a good enough job with that or you think there's still room to go? So to understand firstly, EB-5 program, the regional center program is a temporary program. And what happens is when the program like this lapses, people who have already invested, ones who have, are waiting for their immigrant petitions to be processed, ones who are in the consular processing or adjustment stage, all of their applications stop. They stop being, being processed. Only the folks who have received their conditional green cards or their green cards already are okay. Mm -hmm. So all we wanted to advocate for was protection of everyone who has already invested their application, invested in the, in the program, invested in their projects, and has... In, and has applied for the immigrant petition in good faith to be protected. Even Did you ever... if the program was to lapse completely, I, my feeling was that all existing investors should still allow it to be moved forward and processed. Did you ever come up with a calculation of how many investors who had already come into the program were dealing with this lapsed program and were in this limbo stage for the last eight or nine months? Did you come up with a number of investors that that represented and then therefore how much capital potentially that that represented? Quantify what was the, the real impact upon those who had participated in the program? I believe that number was roughly around 32,000 petitions that were being held in abeyance. And I believe if you multiply that by roughly the average number of visas that each petition takes up, it comes to about 80,000. So around 80,000 people were affected negatively because of this program lapse. Wow, that's a huge number. So it could be, you said 32,000. That means 32,000 investments, approximately 80,000 potential visas, people who are waiting, family members who are waiting in limbo, not knowing what where to go, right? Correct. And so AIIA took it upon themselves that the number one thing to address and to mitigate was the fact that there could be another time, for example, after the reauthorization of the program, 
this might happen again, right? And the people who have these investments in the program might be left again with nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. And so this policy for grandfathering, it was included in the EBFI reforms, right? So how do you feel in terms of that success? And how do you feel in terms of the way it was treated? It has a date, a time date as well. It's not like it's an indefinite grandfathering. And even though that the EB-5 program goes until 2027, for some reason, it seems to only cover them till 2026. Tell us a little bit about this whole grandfathering and how it played itself out and, and whether or not you feel that it was a success or you feel there's still a long way to go. Sure. So for that, I think it's worth understanding how, you know, we got grandfathering done to begin with. So we worked with a lobbyist that we managed to hire, and this was purely all funded by, by EB-5 investors themselves and certain industry members. We raised enough money to hire a lobbyist. Towards the last few months, we worked with specific folks in the in, in Congress. There was Sam Rodarte of from Schumer's office, Drew Robinson from Grassi's office, a member of the House Judiciary Committee also worked with us. And we asked them for this one simple ask, which was protection of all existing investors. Our hope was that every single investor who has already invested and the ones who continue to invest in the future will all be grandfathered in. Yes, there is an expiry date on this grandfathering. So folks who invest towards the last year of uh, authorization of the program, they will not get this benefit. And that is a major concern for us. We'll take up this issue again in 2026 and advocate for those investors too. But my hope is by then AI will be well established. We'll have far more regional centers and, and investment issuers backing us up. So far, we have about four of them who are backing us up right now. And the hope is that as we grow, we will continue to really push for an advocate for all existing and future EB-5 investors for fair treatment, for ensuring that they are protected, even if the program lapses in the future. It's a huge achievement for the EB-5 industry and for EB-5 investors. So I really want to give you accolades and our thanks for having achieved that for the industry and for the investors. There's one thing I'd like to also say at this point of time, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk about who gets credit for reauthorization and grandfathering. And I want to make one thing clear, we weren't responsible for reauthorization of the program. What we advocated was for were grandfathering and we wanted to get it done as soon as possible. We were willing to get this done as a standalone bill measure if, if the reauthorization discussions did not lead anywhere. There were specific members of the industry who supported us and our effort for grandfathering. There's a lot of folks out there who are claiming credit for you know certain things that were put in the bill and I would heavily disagree with that. You know, If they wanna come out and prove it, they should. But in the meantime, for those of us who really work towards this one singular goal and got it done, I'd say to those folks, I mean, you know who you are and the EB-5 investor community as a whole is grateful to you and will not forget that going forward. Right. So are you saying, just to, to clarify, that you do feel that your efforts and AIIA's efforts were responsible for grandfathering of that part of the of the legislation? I mean, I could point you to the email chains that I have between uh, some of these staffers and us going back and forth on it. But I think a, a better example is just, it would just be to look at the bill text itself. I mean, look how similar it is to the very same bill that we were pushing for several months ago. To, to, and if you just compare the languages of these, two, of these two things, you'll see it in yourself. I think that is the irrefutable proof that we succeeded in getting it done. I mean, granted we're you know, one small portion of a huge bill, but I think that just goes to show that the one issue that we focused on, we definitely succeeded. There were yes. two other things that we were pushing for as well, which we did not get. 
but I, you know, I hope to continue advocating for that in the future. So what were those two others? So one of our objectives, which we weren't able to achieve, was the issue regarding judicial review. And I think this issue is important because a lot of investors probably won't face this. A lot of issuers won't either. But I think this is important for everyone. And, you know, this sort of relates to the matter of empathy, which is having empathy for folks who may be going through a different experience with EB-5. Previously, if an EB-5 petition was to be denied, the investor could go utilize the U.S. court system, the U.S. justice system to petition their case, to have a judge actually review the denial and weigh in on it. Whereas now under these new rules, if an investor receives a denial, they must go through the, the Office of Administrative Appeals, which is quite frankly a black hole where the case could be stuck for nearly two years. And then only after the AAO denies the case again, can they then approach the courts and then have their case reviewed by a judge. And I think that's unfair. I think that the ability to use the US justice system to your advantage is, is a right that every investor should be able to have. And this takes it away. That's amazing. Thank you for clarifying that. I work for an employer that, that has a new, you know, every single person that it has invested with EB5 United has received an approval. But I would hope that the folks out there that might get a denial out of no fault of their own would have to be forced to go through this, this, this process just to appeal their case. And I think that is unfair. And that is something we fought against, but we were unsuccessful just the lack of judicial review. The other thing that we fought for was redeployment and consent. You know, a lot of issuers out there will reinvest or redeploy their investors' money without even sometimes notifying them. And we think that's not okay. Uh, we think that the investor should have the right to be able to say yes or no if his money is reinvested or not. And the simple act of getting consent from investors is important. And we, we wanted to advocate for that. You know, I work for an issuer that does take consent from investors. And I, I just don't understand why this can't be the standard for everyone going forward. Amazing. So, Incredible. Well, I think you brought up a, a word that is rarely heard in the industry, which you said was empathy. That, first of all, given your own background as an EB-5 investor, someone who's, who worked hard to get into this country to contribute to the American dream. And you've seen the ups and downs again, even with that first investor, you told a story about how you were able to see a family reunited and all these things that you really do have that voice of empathy that you may find rare in the EB-5 industry. So I think that's probably why you are such an EB-5 superhero here, because you're, you're taking on the cause of, it's maybe not often the popular cause or not even the majority of the applicants may even face this, but because there may be a lone sheep who was lost, maltreated by this, this process, that you have that empathy to try to pick him up and, and help him on his way. So I think that is really a great trait of yours. I'll even call it your EB-5 superhero, superpower, <laughs> your superpower here is that this is an empathy that I guess that's why you are so successful in what you're doing with AIIA as the founder and, and president and, and all of the EB-5 investors who you represent. So a lot of kudos for that. So, you know, we have seen some major changes. It's definitely a breath of relief that grandfathering was written in there and that there there's new life being breathed into the EB-5 program. How do you see beyond grandfathering, beyond the, the causes that the EB-5 industry is, is going after, the EB-5 investors are looking for? How do you think this new EB-5 reform policies have impacted the industry? 
industry as a whole? I, I think it's 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 hard to say when you say the industry because there's so many different players out there who have different motivations. I know that there's a lot of issuers and developers out there who are not happy with the current bill. They wanted to be able to raise money for their projects and what you know and the projects that lie in their TA areas. But I, I guess I, you know I guess they're not happy. My response to those folks is that you know especially the big developers that you seem to forget that congress enacted eb5 to create american jobs not to protect your cheap financing from immigrant investors like us for investors like us green cards for creating american jobs is essential and i think that's that would be you know that would be my take on on the developers themselves who feel like they've lost out with this bill. The EB-5 Reform and Integrity Act of 2022, which was just passed, breathed new life into this program. But you're saying that there are some people, some developers or regional centers who felt that they didn't get all that they wanted. How do you feel as an investor, as somebody who is in, involved in the industry? How do you feel about what Congress passed? And do you believe that they're actually doing exactly what you described is creating the opportunity for investors to create those jobs and they themselves participate in the American dream? Yes, I, I, I think so. I think it's a step in the right direction. I mean, of course, I have my own thoughts as to, you know, how a, a certain project should qualify as a TA or not and what the investment amount should be. But, you know, I, I don't really want to focus on that because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't know enough about that too to make my own recommendations. I have, of course, my own thoughts as to what could be better for the program and what could be better for raising EB-5 money in underserved areas. But you know, that, I think that's a conversation for another day. I think there are some good things for potential new investors who wish to invest in EB-5. And I look forward to serving those investors on my, you know, my full-time job and ensuring they get their benefits. For existing investors, however, I, I don't feel like we won a lot of things. You know, there is this 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 provision in the EB-5 bill called concurrent filing, and that'll allow anyone who is in the US to begin getting their immigration benefits much sooner than you know we've previously gotten in the last 20-30 years of the program. However, for the folks who are sitting outside the US, there's no real benefit for them. They still have to wait you know, two, three, four years until USCIS actually processes their petition and then they can do cons processing and then they can enter the US. Whereas the people who are here, they get this benefit of concurrent filing and gaining immigration benefits a lot sooner. There's a benefit to the, the EB-5 investors who are sitting here in the US, consequently or simultaneously actually has a negative effect for those investors who aren't sitting here in the US. I wouldn't say it's negative. It's just because, I mean, you know, I would say, you know, based on the status quo that was earlier, that the the ones who are outside the U.S. have seen no positive, have seen nothing positive for them. Whereas the ones who are inside the U.S., the investors who will invest in EB-5 going forward that are inside the U.S., will have this benefit available. So to look them. at your own case. When you were an H-1B, an OPT, and you were sitting here in the United States, you would have benefited from this. But when your OPT expired and you had to go back to India, then you would be with the those EB five investors who are saying are actually no better off by this new point in the in the regulations. Is that correct? That, yeah, that's right. If I, if concurrent filing was available to me when I did EB five, I would have been able to probably keep my job when I you know instead of waiting for an H one B lottery system to get to be able to stay here, I would have greatly benefited from that. There would be no interruptions to my career. 
I probably would not have even joined EB5 in that case, the industry, I mean. But now, you know, looking at this bill, the way it stands, I think there are some benefits. But but again, you know, I keep bringing the conversation back to the existing investors because they've really been the folks who have been hurt because of this lapse and what we've gotten out of it. I mean, you know, the impact of this lapse is not going to be known right now. It's probably, we're probably going to see it a year or two from now, or maybe even later when, you know, there's a sudden visa backlog, when there's further delays, when people who are expecting to move to the US in a, spe- in a specific time frame may find themselves waiting years longer. And that is incredibly unfair. I mean, my group, of course, plans to advocate for things like visa cap- recapture and all of that because we're going to lose a whole bunch of visa numbers this year because of this lapse. But I, I don't know if that's, that's, I don't know if we're going to succeed. And of course, I don't know if that's going to be enough to mitigate the impact this lapse has had. The question that came to my mind was, given that there's this EB-5 Reform and Integrity Act of 2022, the question might be, look, you got the grandfathering. It's time for AIIA to pack it up and now you're done. You accomplished your goals. But it sounds like Ishan Kahan and, and the AIIA have a lot of work still in front of you maybe even more than before to put it simply i mean you know when we were advocating for grandfathering when we were in dc we built a lot of relationships with staffers see you you got to keep in mind that in in the world of immigration law and and advocacy and all of that our cause ai cause was very niche and what made it unique was that it was bipartisan. It is very rare that an immigration issue like this receives as much unanimous support across the aisle as we were able to get. So now think about all these relationships we built. Think about all the staffers we talked to and followed up with and, and continued having conversations with. They know who we are. I believe it would be a disservice to the investors and to every EB5 stakeholder out there if we did not utilize these relationships that we have built for bettering the program for both existing and potential investors going forward. Amazing. So it sounds like you've got a great path ahead of you where to take AIIA and, and everything else for these investors. Really, I think what made you so unique in this space, there was such disunity in the in the industry and everybody was thinking about whether it be developers or regional centers or, or even the, the immigration lawyers and you know all the professionals that are involved in the industry, but nobody was talking about the most important EB-5 superhero out there, which is the EB-5 investor, right? The real ones who are taking the risk, the real ones who believe in America, the real ones who want to make a difference and have put their life savings, their money where their mouth is, are these EB-5 investors. They're the real EB-5 superheroes here. And you gathered them together and created that 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 voice which people had to listen to and hadn't ever had an opportunity to, to listen to before. So I think this is really the great novelty, the innovation of AIIA and, and your work. And you really turned over the industry, transformed the conversation in Congress. And so I don't think we have to look at a certain line and compare it to old drafts, etc. to say that your impact upon grandfathering is there and that you're probably the, the, the true winner and the true superhero there. But I actually believe that you leading this conversation are going to have a lot more wins for the EB-5 investor who nobody even thought of, who nobody even looked out for, who nobody had the empathy for until today to really take it seriously. So, Ijan, I think you're the man to continue to make it happen. You and your, your, your organization and your passion and fire to stand out for the rights for these EB-5 investors. So I'm very, very excited about you personally, and also you and your your team. Tell us more about you and your team of EB-5 superheroes at AIIA, and how do you manage to get them all to share your passion for saving and helping the good guys achieve their American dream? I'm joined by folks from completely different walks of life and from different backgrounds. We have we have someone who you interviewed you know, not too long ago, David, who's who's been just incredible with talking to our Chinese community and ensuring they were kept well informed 
or what was going on every step of the way. I've got Rajveer uh, by my side, who is a political science student at Harvard, who's pretty well versed with how things work in Congress and was always my go-to guy as far as you know checking what legislative policy to pursue, who to speak with, how to work with a specific staffer, and and what issues to 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 bring to the table when speaking with these folks. Sean from Canada, who is is incredible and has really been the voice of reason, and you know has has been my mentor pretty much going through this process. I, I also am joined by two of our advisors, Suzanne Lilsky from Lucidex and Matt Galati from the Galati Law Firm. I don't think AI would have been successful without these folks. And, you know, you're out here calling me uh, a superhero, but, you know, to be honest, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I am. I, I think I'm only successful because of the people that I have around me and the people I've chosen to help run this organization with. You know, you earlier on, you said that, you know, is this a win for us? Grandfathering, etc. You know, to me, I mean, it sounds very critical, but self-critical, but I, I, I don't count that as a win just yet. To me, a win will be when, for me earlier on, a win was when every single EB-5 United investor was to get their green card and get their money back and get out of this process. But now I, I, I want to see every single investor, especially those who have put their faith in AI and have supported us and have worked with us, I want to see them get the result that they want. Once those folks get their green cards, they get repaid. I think I think I personally would feel a lot better. And, and we want to keep working with them on that. It's not just that we want to do our advocacy on the Hill and, you know, work in DC and, and, and push legislation and and, and improve regulation. I want to also educate investors about their rights and what they know of. There are investors who are in some really bad situations, who have lost money in the projects they've invested in. Many of them just do not understand how the American justice system works. So they're unable to you know, understand who to turn to, who has their back, which attorney to approach, how the court system works. Many folks out there don't want to put in a single dollar into the United States after they've already lost so much. And I believe that with the right education, the education on investors' rights, on, on understanding everything from the PPM that you signed, all the way to how a a securities or litigation attorney builds their case when it comes to litigation. I think those are all basic, basic things that a lot of us already know, which I want to help share with folks. And that and that isn't just folks from an English-speaking audience. I think even those who don't have access to the open internet or don't have or, or don't speak English or, or cannot access this, I want them to have access to that too. I'll give you an example. We built a Microsoft Teams community server where all of our donors and all of our uh, members are interacting with each other. And I want to build that out. What's really unique about is that system is that every message posted can be translated into whichever language that you natively speak. So I would like to see a world where investors from South America, from Russia, from Vietnam, from China, from those living in the US, from, from India, it doesn't matter what language you speak. But if we're all in this together, we're all going through this process, I believe that I want to see a community where we're all helping each other. I, I, I know it's possible. I've, I've seen it right now in online groups and forums, many of them who exist. I, I think with the right kind of effort and, and, and the right kind of community leaders, I believe we can build a system where investors from whatever background you're from can help each other. And why is this important and why should we? It's because we're all trying to move to the US. It's because we're all trying to become Americans. It's because we're all trying to gain a better life for ourselves and our family members. Why not work together to make sure that all of us get through this? We've all put in our, you know, the same amount of money or 
you know, less or more depending on when you invested. But, but the truth is we're all in this together. And I said this on our very first webinar that we ever did as an organization. But truly, we as an immigrant investor community and other EB-5 stakeholders, we're all in this together and we are stronger together. Beautiful. Thank you, Ishan. Tell me, where can we find out more about AIIA and all the good things that you're doing? So you can check out our website. That's goaiia.org. That's goaiia.org. You know, we regularly put out newsletters, videos, follow us on YouTube. We're also on Bilibili, which is a video sharing platform in China. And and we're out there. We And we, you know, we'd love to talk to investors out there i would like to eventually also see a world where we're able to provide resources and knowledge from a neutral perspective to potential investors out there as well i think if you go online and you're doing your eb5 research you can get swayed in in different directions there's people out there who are giving out a lot of biased information and i understand i mean this is a high margin business and you know everyone's got to make money but i would like for aia to really be the go-to resource for everyone, current EB-5 investors as well as future EB-5 investors. I would also like to see a world where we can also help bring in developers and issuers who want to raise EB-5 capital. I think one thing that this industry has failed to do has been to allow and to educate people who wish to enter the EB-5 industry and want to raise EB-5 financing of their own. Because this world is so complicated, has so many layers to it, I feel like it's it's become rather isolated and that's one of the faults of why this lapse happened. I believe that if we were more open to newcomers, we were open to new developers and new issuers stepping into the ring and being able to raise EB-5 financing on their own, I truly think as the industry as a whole could benefit from it. I think we can find you in Washington, D.C. Is that right? You've recently moved there? Yeah, I just moved from Washington, D.C. Uh, so if there's anybody out there uh, who also lives in the DMV area, please uh, hit me up. I need friends. I don't really know anyone here. But uh, yeah, I moved from Seattle uh, to DC. I am committed to running AI in the long haul and, and seeing uh, our mission through. And uh, you know, in the meantime, I'm still going to be working at EB5 United and uh, helping new investors uh, achieve the American dream. Amazing. Ishan Khan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being an EB5 superhero. Thank you for leading the EB5 industries to a time of truth and transparency and justice and achieving their American dream. Thank you again. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. Ishan Kahana and other EB-5 superheroes like him are the industry's best and brightest who are flying onward and upward to bring out the best in EB-5. Join me on the next episode to meet the next EB-5 superhero. Thank you for listening to the EB-5 Superheroes podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the good guys and good gals who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. To access today's show notes, ask Matt a question, or suggest an EB-5 superhero to be featured on the show, visit eb5superheroes.com.